And as we start this sermon in Revelation, a letter from Jesus about Jesus to churches in crisis, we're in Revelation chapter 6, 12 through 17 today. And let us begin by praying this together, and then I'm going to read through the scriptures, and then we'll, we'll get into it. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Blessed are the readers, hearers, and keepers of this word. Revelation 6, 12 through 17. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to earth as as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? You guys may be seated. I want to remind us as we enter into this sixth seal that when we started this series in Revelation, we we started the series understanding that this is for us today. It's not just speaking about the future tense, although it does have something to say about the future tense. But this is for our growth, for our encouragement. Yes, even this text for our encouragement and for righteousness in Jesus as we look to be right with Christ in all that we say and do. Also, uh, it's a text like these ones, like this text today, that drive me to study, to pray, to think, to pray some more. To, to figure out what it is um, that Jesus would have for us here. My attempt is always to um, handle Scripture with care, and I don't do this perfectly, but I certainly try and consider what Jesus has for us today. And I'll admit, and as you guys already know, I don't have all the answers about text and texts like these, and um, I don't think that all the answers that could be known about this text are fully revealed to us outside of Jesus and outside of us knowing him perfectly and without sin. But I don't have to know everything to preach on it. And for that, I am eternally grateful to Jesus, the way that he set this thing up. I can also, um, uh, uh, I don't have to know everything about this text, but we also don't have to agree with everybody's interpretation of this text. Um, This comes um, from the fact that I believe that this has something to do with us today. It's not just a book about the future. It's not a book where we just get to decipher things and figure out what, what they all mean so that we can know. But it comes from a belief in the prayer that as we pray, we get to get into this text and we get to see what Jesus has for it. And we, we say and we've sung today, glory to the Father and to the Son and to the whole Holy Spirit. All glory forever and ever, as it was in the beginning, it is now and will be forever. This means 
that this word and these words were good for those who first heard it in Rome. It's good for us now as it has been for all saints up to this point, And it will certainly be good for the future having this word before us. And then we also pray, blessed are the readers, hearers, and keepers of this word. And that's what we seek to be as Christians. We're actually going to look at the sixth seal in three parts. This is just the first part. The first part is what happens to those on earth who oppose God. We can see this and we have to keep this in mind through this text. The second part is what happens to those on earth who are God's people, who who are following God and trying to strive after Him. The third is what is happening in heaven while all this is going on. And we get to remember this, that this is just the first part of what happens to those who oppose God here in heaven. And a reminder that this type of reading is meant to be read and interpreted as metaphor. Like I think of uh, the the full moon became like blood. You know what happens when you're in a very polluted city and you see a red uh, full moon? It, It looks red because of the pollution. Now it could be what Revelation is talking about or it could mean something else. But we're supposed to read it as metaphor and these are symbols. And when we hear a saying like, common vernacular, the sky is falling. We don't actually think the sky is falling down on our heads from above like Chicken Little did. This is not how we read these things. And these scriptures are as serious as the scene depicts, but they are not meant to be read or interpreted literally. In fact, if we do interpret them literally, we tend to get into a bit of trouble. And they are meant to be... uh, read and studied and looked at with a bit more obscurity, a bit more ambiguity than sometimes we're comfortable with because this is a picture of things that have happened and things that are happening and things that will happen. And they are pictures of what the final picture, the ultimate picture will look like, but more than look like what it'll feel like. So this text is trying to get us into a feeling And if we look at it with that lens, that this is a picture of what it feels like to those who oppose God in his ways, then we can see the sun became black, the moon full of blood, the stars from the sky fell as the fig tree uh, sheds its winter fruit, and, and the sky is vanished and being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. You get the feeling this is not a very good scene. This is not a place where you can just sit back, relax, and be comfortable. This is something that um, uh, those who oppose God and His will and His ways, it's not going to go well for them. It's not going to go well for them. And when I say them, we have to take with a measure of humility that that might be us as well. Those who oppose God are mentioned in this text. As one theologian puts it, They are marked off in well-defined social categories. To be clear, you can have people in each of the following category that follow Jesus, but this list is for those that are in these positions who don't follow Jesus and who do oppose him. So here's the list. First off, and this comes from verse 15, first off is kings. And this category is really easy to explain, and we won't spend a lot of time on it. This category is for the main leaders of governments throughout time, throughout the world. It's the main leaders of government. The king could be 
um, a man or a woman. It doesn't matter if, if some kings, they can be young or old. That doesn't matter. You could use the word here, president, prime minister, premier, chancellor, chief executive. And I, I, you could go on and on, whatever the heads of state are. But you get the point. Kings are these people. And those who oppose Christ are kings who opposed Christ. Then you come to this next in verse 15 where it says, says the kings of earth and the great ones. This category is a bit more obscure because great ones isn't a, a defined role in our world, right? When you think of great ones, it might be uh, best if we just kind of did like a, a Google search or something like that and looked up great figures in history, something like that. And that list would serve to explain kind of like what great ones is to mean here. And this could be leaders in industry, those who've made breakthroughs medically or in other realms, those who've influenced cultures. So if you actually did a Google study on great figures in history, the top 10 list that comes from that, from Time Magazine, are Jesus, praise be to God, because we agree with that. Now, he doesn't oppose God. So he's a great one that follows Christ. You have Napoleon, you have Muhammad, you have Shakespeare, you have Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, Adolf Hitler, Aristotle, Alexander the Great, and Thomas Jefferson. But included in this list is people like Karl Marx, Charles Darwin, Martin Luther, Martin Luther King Jr., Einstein, Da Vinci, Plato, Mozart, Isaac Newton, you kind of get the idea, like these are the great ones. And I, I distinguish Martin Luther and Martin Luther King Jr. because I always thought that they were the same people growing up. And I want us to understand that they are not the same people. Uh, and, but if you looked up great figures in any subcategory, so great figures of the United States, you would have a different list. Great studies uh, or great ones in the NFL, you would have a different list entirely. But these are people who... Uh, these are people who can be leaders. They can just be the people who come up with ideas or the scientific people that actually figure stuff out or the artist who actually composes the music or, or scores a movie or something like that. But I hope we get the idea behind what is meant as great ones. So the, there, are great, there are kings and there are great ones that love Jesus and there are kings and great ones who oppose Jesus in everything they do. The next one we have up is generals. And those are, the, those are the people who go out and lead in wars and plan for the execution of wars. Again, this one is pretty easy. There are many generals and military leaders and inventors of military advancements who make up the list of great ones within army, within, uh, within war. But just in case um, they, they didn't get um, a... a this is a, a distinct category for those who are lovers of war. And we get to see that even those who love war and know how to fight well, they still, those who oppose Jesus, still hide and they cry out, who can stand? Then we have rich and powerful. The rich and powerful. The names of these people might not be known as the names of the great ones, but these are the peoples who might have funded the great ones' works. Think of who funded Albert Einstein's works. Who, who 
um, sat back or, or who set the money so Mozart could, could pose or Isaac Newton could think and, and, and develop scientific theories. Rich and powerful people, though they might not be as known as the great ones, there are still throughout history, there are people who lay under the radar and yet move and influence this world through their wealth and their power. But here, as it talks about those who are are standing opposed to God, these are people who manipulate the poor for their own advantage. That's how we need to think about them. They know how to make a buck and they don't care who they step on to get there. Think of someone with big old diamonds on their rings and then you say, oh, are those blood diamonds? And they're like, I don't care. They were, they were a good deal. Take those who don't care how or why the price of a product is low and they just want to drive it cheaper so that they can make more money from it. These, uh, these days, this can be an individual or a corporation. But there are many ways that have been set up to take advantage of the poor. And these people keep inventing ways to take advantage of the poor. And I believe that if we look, we can see this throughout our history and even in our world today. And then, just in case you thought, you know, someone wasn't going to make the list. In verse 15, it says, And everyone, slave and free. So just in case that someone was missing, this, uh, there are people in this list that are now included. So average uh, J- uh, Joe and Jane Doe can be included. You don't have to be in power. You don't have to be known. You don't have to be a leader. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to be a president of a country to oppose God. You can have all the power in the world or no power and oppose God. You can be a leader or an absolute follower and oppose God. You can oppose Him if you are weak, if you are unknown, if you're a follower and you're poor. So you don't have to just have an an advantage of people to oppose God. I believe this list and all these types of people have have existed for a long, long time. It's not just end time stuff. And as I was thinking about this, I think of terms of World War II because it's kind of uh, names will be recognized. But kings, think of Hitler, Mussolini. They, they were not good men and they, they destroyed their countries in the process of war. But then you think of great leaders in industry that kept Germany going as well as the scientists who benefited from scientific experiments that were done in concentration camps. Like you think of of kings and and great ones and great achievements that came out of this. Those who put together the Manhattan Project and tried to figure out how to build a bigger bomb so we can blow up more people. You think of great generals in World War II. Joseph Goebbels, Heinrich Himmler, to name a couple. And the list can go on and on there of those who did whatever it took to exterminate their enemies. Then you think of the rich and powerful Think of those who profited off of free labor. The opposite of that would be a guy like Oscar Schindler, who he went in it and he appeared to be making a profit, but he just used all his profits to buy back Jews. But think of the people that profited off of the war. Forbes has a list of over a dozen families who became millionaires because they supported the Third Reich and their ties to the labor pool of imprisoned people. And everyone else 
who has turned a blind eye. So just in case, slave and free, everyone else in their cities who turned a blind eye and pretended not to notice the evil camps that the Nazis put on and that were literally in their backyard and they pretended not to notice the sights and smells of all that was going on. You can make this list for just about every human conflict in about every country that has ever lived over the last 2,000 years. It makes sense that this list could have been written about Rome. For certainly there were some who viewed them in this light. This could be written about the British Empire, the Dutch, the French, and the Spaniards as they went out and colonized the world and made things happen. Some of them did this in the name of Jesus, even though they were opposing Jesus as they did it. This could be used for the United States as well as other mega countries of this world that are alive today. Some would argue that the United States uh, and the way that they use their global economic pull to get cheap goods while they keep the poor of this world down, that this is them, that this describes who they are. And we aren't the only country. There's plenty of evidence for all of these situations throughout history. And so I say the United States because we can't be so arrogant to exclude ourselves from the possibility of being on this list. We can't do that. There's no way to get around the fact that the book of Revelation deals with judgment. It judges those who don't follow Jesus and it judges those who do follow Jesus. It judges them differently, but it judges them both nonetheless. God's aim in all of this is to correct us. It's to correct humanity so that we might follow him. To show us that we are not gods no matter how rich and powerful. That he is God and he is Lord and he deserves all glory and honor forever and ever. However, there is one thing that we need to be careful of is that, is that we are not the ones who puts God or puts people in these categories. We don't put people in the categories of those who follow or those who oppose Jesus and those who follow Jesus. Our job as Christians is to show love and show the kindness that God has extended to us in Christ. We are not the one who sorts out all this stuff. God is. If it was us, we'd have multiple categories that we would exclude people from the love of Christ. We'd build it out so eventually we'd be the only ones that feel loved by Jesus and are loving Him in such a way that is perfect. Because if we start to pretend that we're the judges... Then as we scroll through Facebook, as we look at the news, as we look at anything else, all of a sudden we become the judge and jury on who is following Jesus and who is not. When God has told us repeatedly throughout the Old and the New Testament that we are His people and we are to be about loving others. God is the judge and our job is to love. Let me make the arguments that have ravaged the churches and our country over the last years and show what our response should be. So if you are pro-mask or anti-mask, we as Christians are mandated to love one another. And in case you want to say, well, one another means that we're supposed to just love other Christians. True. 
But scripture also dictates that we are to love our enemies as well. So then we take vaccine or anti-vaccine. Our job is to love. Our mandate is to love. If we take pro-Biden or pro-Trump or pro-anyone else in leadership, we are mandated to love. Whether you agree with Black Lives Matter or you think that all lives matter or you think that no lives matter, we are mandated to love those in this world. The cool thing about love is we don't have to agree with somebody, with anybody really, to love them because love does this amazing thing. It covers a multitude of sins. I would say it even covers a multitude of areas of disagreements that we can have so that we can set aside our disagreements and we can love. Because above all things, we are pro-Jesus love for us. Amen? We are pro-Jesus love for us. Jesus has given his love to us as a free and wonderful gift. He gives us these gifts so that we might be filled up in these gifts to overflowing And as we are overflowing with love, with this wonderfully free but yet costly gift, then we love others with the same love that Jesus bestows on us. It may be freer and unmerited for some people uh, rather than others, but we get to love people with that. We get to remember that the reason why Jesus hasn't come back to earth yet is that more people might know him. More people might know his love and forgiveness. More people might know what it means to have their hearts and their lives shaped and changed by Jesus. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And we need to remember that. He wants us to take... He wants to take people out of the categories of his enemies and put them into the category of beloved sons and daughters of the king. And he is patiently awaiting the day when he comes back to usher in his new kingdom, his new kingdom to come because of his love for his creation. And that includes humanity, even as messed up as we are. We get to remember this. We are not the judge. Our job as followers is to follow Jesus, is to love, love to the point where we love those who persecute us. Because even Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Even to the point of death, we forgive. Jesus teaches us to turn the other cheek and we do that out of love. Jesus teaches us to walk the extra mile and we do that extra mile because the first mile we complain and then the second mile we're like, you know what? I'm going to love this person regardless of what they're doing to us. We don't have to agree to love. In fact, love kind of waves the right to our opinions. Because, and we do that out of love. And again, we don't have to agree to love. We don't have to share the same values as other people to love that person as Christ wants to love them. And somehow, we as Christians think that our mandate, at least this is what it appears to be, think that our mandate has been to stand as judge. To stand as the person who stands in the gap and tells people where they're right and wrong and and how they should act and believe. And yet, as we've said over and over in this church, quoting scripture, salvation belongs to the Lord. You know what else belongs to the Lord? Judgment. 
It's not up to us. This is not our task. We need to repent and we need to be about our task. And that task is love. Salvation and judgment belong to the Lord. We don't get to sit back and judge who belongs in these categories. We just don't. And so I pray that we may not let uh, busy ourselves with all the woes of this world. And yet we can live out of our clear conscience and have our conviction and not agree with anybody. We can believe that in, even in doing so that we are following Jesus and we may well be in those areas. But if we forget love, then we are not following Jesus as he would have us follow Jesus. And not only that, we'd be forgetting the greatest gift that God has bestowed on us. He loves us so much that he sent his one and only son. And whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. And that's what Jesus desires for all of us. Be sure though, judgment will happen. Jesus loves us so much that he won't allow those who want to hurt us or deceive us to be in his kingdom in fullness. Those who oppose God will cry out. They will hide their eyes in their faces. And the answer to the question in verse 17, who can stand? The answer is no one. No one can stand up against God who is seated on the throne and the wrath of the Lamb. No one gets to mess with those who are God's people because he is almighty. Now how his judgment plays out? When his judgment plays out, that's in his hands. That's not in our hands. I'm not going to pretend to know this or speculate on this because we just don't know. But we entered into Revelation today with the prayer, as it is in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. A part of that prayer for me is that I believe this book and these visions, this sixth seal, all three parts of it were meant for us today. It is going to help us walk with Jesus today. It is also about the past as well as the future. And God will take care of his own. He has taken care of his own. He is taking care of his own. Jesus will take such good care of us that he will leave the 99 to go after the one. And we've seen in the first five seals that we will endure much as we follow Jesus. War and trials and pestilence and even even. Uh, death for his name, for his name's sake. And as we've seen him defeat hate in the past, he is defeating hate of right now and his love will wipe out all hate for all time in the future. And we can place our hope in that. We can walk in faith knowing that God, his love truly does win and that God will oppose those who stand against him. For us today, we get to walk in humility with our God. That we don't get to be haughty or arrogant against those who don't follow him. That's not our job. There's more than just revelation that speaks about God's judgment and his judgment to come. And in Micah, it is spoken about as well. Book in the Old Testament. And in that book, God tells his people how to live amidst all this judgment. And we get to do the same because it is the same God who spoke those words that is speaking these words in Revelation. Micah 6.8 says this, 
He has told you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. This is when we perk our ears. Okay, what is required of us? To do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with our God. And that's what we get to do. May we learn to do this under the power of the Holy Spirit because we cannot do this on our own. This has been my prayer for Grace and Mercy Church this week, that we may love, that our love may even grow, that it's not that we don't get our opinions. Uh, quite honestly, I know us all too well to know that we have way too many opinions. But, um, and I'm speaking for myself, but for y'all as well, because I've talked with you. So, but we get to let the love that God has given us Get to let that love that God has given us overwhelm us to the point where love will show for those we disagree with. We will be able to show them love. And then as we do this, we can leave the salvation and the judgment up to God and to the Lamb who is sacrificed for us. And so may we live with that humility. Lord, I pray that as you have told us and you have showed us what is required of us, that we may do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with you. Lord, we don't want to be the people at the end of the days that hide our face from you and asking who can stand, but we actually willingly lay down our crowns. We kneel before you and we acknowledge that you are our true king and our true God. So Lord, may we walk humbly before you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.